0: So I want to tell you a story about when I was in high school um, and we had an English teacher whose name was Mrs. Nixon and, um, and, and she was a force to be reckoned with. I don't know if you can recall any teachers like that, that you were absolutely petrified of, that, that wouldn't take any rubbish, any junk and you knew exactly where you stood and this was Mrs. Nixon. And one day in class, there was a guy who was mucking about, his name was Cameron um, and at, at one point, Mrs. Nixon stops and eyeballs him from across the classroom and says, Cameron, you're skating on very thin ice. And to our enjoyment, Cameron stood up and went, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> And he got suspended for a week. He was like, oh, snap, no one is doing that ever again. You do not cross Mrs. Nixon. So then I'm at church one day and I come around the corner and I have one of those moments, you know, those moments where you actually think you've died, but miscalculated along the way because it's not heaven. It was one of these moments I looked up and Mrs. Nixon was standing there in church I'm like she has the wrong place. Now, it turns out she was a Christian, had been a Christian for a long time, but she came to our church. Now, she'd probably been coming to our church for a long time, but I'd never put it together in my grade eight brain. And she was in church. I'm like, this is horrendous. How is life going to work out? Where Mrs Nixon? And then she did the unthinkable. She walked toward me, petrified, shaking my boots. She smiled. I know, right? And said hello. Talk it. Like, how does, how does this work? She messed around with my, my little mind because it turned out she was a human after all. It was remarkable. It was amazing. And over the next bunch of years, she became, and talk about irony, she became my mum's best friend. Her name is Philippa, I learnt. And then she became, I guess you'd call, a friend of mine. She was, she was a lot older than me, a lot wiser than me. Um, she loved Jesus a lot. And she became really important in my development um, and faith as that, that moved on. As a Christian. Um, So, when I think about Mrs. Nixon and I go back to the classroom, I go, there was power on display. It was force, it was power. But as I got to know her and as I got to, to see her, what her life was like, I realized it wasn't power, it was authority. And the difference between power and authority is authority is when we wield our power for the benefit and the care of others. And that's who she was. So when, when I was in a, um, in a supermarket where I used to work and I was getting sick of stacking apples and one morning I'm like, what is the point of my life? Where is it going and what is it going? This voice, it wasn't an audible voice, but a very clear impression says, you need to ask somebody to pray for you. And so I went to Mrs. Nixon. I went to Philippa and I asked her, I said, she had no idea of any of the conversations going on in my mind or with other people about calls to ministry. No clue. And I said, Philippa, can you just go away and ask God what he wants me to do in my life? And two weeks later, she came back. She said, you better sit down. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right. Because Mrs. Nixon says, sit down. Oh, you sit down. So I sat down and I'm listening. She goes, I think God wants you to be a pastor. And it, it re- re- rang true with all these other things that had happened. Just this moment of clarity of like, yeah, that's exactly what I need to go do and the path that I need to take. You see, it was Philippa that encouraged me in my faith. It was, it was Philippa who spoke God's belief into my life. When I was sick for 18 months, Philippa was the one that said, I'm going to come round and I'm going to pray for you in your house every day for 18 months. She did. What? That's authority, Right? wielding it, wielding the power that God has given her for the care and benefit and, not being, um, and, and and that of others. And then on the day that I found out that I was going to be ordained as a uniting church minister, Philippa left this life and she went to be with Jesus. She, she'd had a very aggressive brain tumour, like it was six weeks. But the impression that I'm left with, even now, like 15, 16, 17 years later, even now to this day, like when I think of authority, I think of Philippa. There was just something about her that drew me to her, that intrigued me about her, that left me constantly amazed not at anything incredible that she did, but who she was and how she did that life. She showed this deep care. She would never be swayed off course by anyone. If Cameron had challenged that suspension, good luck. It was just backed up by this uncompromising devotion to God and to the welfare of other people. I think of Philippa when I hear Matthew talk about Jesus. Matthew talks about Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And what Jesus and Philippa have in common wasn't just that they offered others great ideas or that they had wise insights or brilliant teaching or a caring presence or a spiritual vitality. It's that they knew what it was like to walk with God. They walked with God every day and they let others discover that about them, their lives. That's what Jesus' authority Comes from. He taught as one who had authority, not as those teachers of the law. The teacher of the law, they were called grammatus. Sounds very familiar with grammar Nazi, right? I hope we haven't got any grammar Nazis here. You know, there's people that are really mad at life and take it out on anyone that can't write exactly. Right. Sorry if I've just offended you. I really appreciate you, except when you critique a bit of writing. It's a necessary, not evil, but you know, thing. The teachers of the law were like that, right? It's no accident that we get the idea of grammar from this Grammatius. They, they loved the detail of the law. They critiqued it. They argued it. They wrestled with it. They challenged everyone on it. They demanded obedience to it. They were convinced what was right about it. They dobbed on anyone who disobeyed it. And they changed their minds about it all the time. They were part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish council responsible for translating the law to circumstances that came up. So a, a wrongdoing would happen and they were responsible for saying the law is interpreted in this way. But according to Matthew, the crowds felt that these people had no authority. Because authority is a power wielded for the care of others. And they didn't care about people as much as they cared about the law. The law had a much higher value than people did. And then Jesus comes along. And he offers something so radically and completely different that people were hungry for it. So so different was what he offered that two thousand years ago we can read his sermon in a in a culture that's astronomically different than one Jesus preached in, and we go, that makes sense to us, that speaks to us, that calls us to a better place in our culture two thousand years ago. So he offered this beautiful thing that was different and incredible and should have left them amazed. Jesus wielded God's power to care for us. And that is worthy of our study. Last week we began this, we sort of revisited this acronym. Last week we talked about bless, to be a blessing. And we're just going to put those words up now. So last week we talked about bless, um, blessing people. The second one is listen to the Holy Spirit. The third one is eating with others. The fourth one is studying Jesus, which we're doing today today. Because if you love logical progression, I just thought I'd mess with your heads a little bit. And I made a mistake a couple of weeks ago in the planning. Um, and the, the fifth one um, we'll do in three weeks' time, whatever it is, is sent. Actually, might do it next week and completely mess everybody up. So, so the first one, we talked about blessing people. And today we're talking about studying Jesus, these missional habits, that as they become part of the habit of our lives, we become transformed and we become a transforming agent for Jesus. So today we're jumping into S, study Jesus. Because when people studied Jesus, he left them with this air of authority that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need. We cannot do that. So study Jesus. We talked about three weeks ago that the, 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 the Bible, the scriptures we have is God's way of speaking to us. It's, it's almost the, the uncovered presence of Christ that we get to to, to re, revel in and, and enjoy. And the biggest complaint I hear when, when we talk about things like studying Jesus and reading the scriptures is they say, I don't know how to read the Bible. And I've got brilliant advice. If you're sitting here and you go, I don't know how to read the Bible. Check this out. This will blow your minds. You pick it up all right, and just flip it open. Just read whatever's in front of you. Go crazy. And when I tell people that, they either do what you do, they laugh, or they do the, be serious with you. This is a serious matter. And I'm like, seriously? That's what you need to do. The more you do that, the more it makes sense, the more it speaks to you, the more it changes your life. you just got to do it more and more. There's no secret to it. You'll learn more about it. It'll come clear. You'll get the culture. All that will slowly fall into place. But the only way you start is just by flipping it open somewhere and reading, engaging with it, immersing yourself in it. So I thought we could play a little game today because I know how much adults love games like, yes, sucks, I just want to go home okay, so here's what we're going to do, in a sec we're going to put Matthew, actually we'll do it right now, we're going to put Matthew on the screen, the Matthew 7 reading, and you're going to get, jump into groups of 3 or 4, so not groups of 7, it won't work because your group will go on forever and everybody else will be disgruntled with you, not with me, because your group is going on, so groups of 3 or 4 and and we've got these cards that Paul is now going to hand out for me thanks Paul you can keep these cards. You may have one already. and may be stashed in your purse or your wallet. You may be using it on a regular basis or not. Um, we've talked about these before. But there are four questions on this card. I'll read out the four questions. There's nothing brilliant about the questions except that they're super helpful. So here they are. When you read, when you read the scripture, you ask these questions of it. What questions are raised for me? What is God saying to me? What is my aha moment? And what are others saying or have said that helps me understand this more? Now, here's the game. What we're going to do in a minute, we're going to go into our groups of three or four. Somebody is going to read aloud this Bible verse, two verses. And then you each, each person has 30 seconds to say as much or as little as you want in answering one of these questions. So if you're sitting there going, this is all new to me, I don't have a clue. You go last and then just say... Oh, what are others saying that helps? Oh, what that person said was really good, really helpful, right? But not everyone can go last, so good luck working that out. This is a tool we have developed to help you read the Bible. When you go, how do you read the Bible? It's this simple. Apply these questions to it time and time again, and it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. They allow for the Spirit of God to start to speak with you. And share the things that are on God's heart with you. They create openings in which God can meet with you. So, jump into groups of three or four. Do that now. It doesn't matter who's where. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word and through your spirit. Keep speaking, we pray. We thank you for what you do for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. So what you've done... You can actually replicate on an individual basis. You don't have to talk out loud to yourself. Others might think you're a little bit crazy. But you can replicate this in any, in any setting. Uh, we've started to read through the New Testament. I know heaps of you are actually part of that. We've been reading every day. We're only two weeks in. If you want to join us, we'd love for you to join us. And if your first reaction to that is, but you've already started, it doesn't matter. You don't need to worry about what we've already done, what the importance is of joining with us in what there is to do. So this is an exercise where we make sure we tick off everything. This is an opportunity for us as a community, whether we're gathered or scattered, to meet with God and for the Spirit of God to be saying things to us. And if you've been using the app, who's been using the app? It's just amazing. Like So it tells you exactly what you should read. So you hit a button, you hit plan, it goes, bing, just read this. You're like... Too easy. It's got an audio function, so you can just press play so you can listen to it on the car. And then it once you've done that, you hit a button and it goes, Do you want to say anything about this or do you want to ask? Or what's God saying? You can just like have a chat if you want, or not say anything, it doesn't matter. But it's so easy. I, I used to say let's give give God fifteen minutes of chair time. You can actually do it in five minutes. It's almost criminal. So so there's this opportunity um, we have as a church to push deeper and deeper into God and to let God speak to us. It takes less than 15 minutes. You can do it anywhere at any time and it'll radically transform your life if you keep on doing it. Why wouldn't we? What an opportunity this is. So if you want to be part of that, um, just flick to the next screen. You can um, QR code that or just type in that or if you think, ah. there's a piece of paper with the readings on the back that you can grab on the way out or a little, um, a little version of that so you can do that later on when the pressure's off. But we're going to leave that up for, for a little while. This 4pm gathering is about preparing ourselves to live with Jesus throughout the week and for Jesus throughout the week. That's why we come back together to be encouraged by God, to hear the voice of the Spirit, to be cheered on, set up, and ready to go out. And, and we're meant to live a week that spends us so drastically that we go, Oh, I have to come back. I have to be here because I need what God does when I'm together with brothers and sisters in Christ that helps me move forward. So that's you've just upskilled yourself, you've just equipped yourself in how to read the Bible. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm not good at that, you're brilliant at it now. Like everyone was fantastic. So so good job, everyone. Study. Jesus, That S, right? Study Jesus. When Jesus had finished saying these words, once the crowd had studied Jesus, they were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And that word amazed is awesome. Like amazed is about as good as we can get in English in one word. It's the word ekplesso like the idea of ecstasy. Like amaze, this explosive response of joy is what that word means. This this passionate or physical reaction bursting out of people. It's to be awestruck with astonishment. That's what happened when they studied Jesus. They were radically transformed. The basis of their amazement, though, was not only does Jesus mean this. It's that he embraced it. It's that he did it. Jesus just described everything. That everyone sitting there that heard about this guy went, Oh, that's true. We've seen that in your life. That's what added this weight of authority. Of it's not just some nice ideas you're trying to help us get into line. You've committed your life. You've tied your life to this standard of being. And you've put it on a clinic. You've showcased it about what our lives can be like the authority Jesus was given was because he tied his own life to it first see Jesus reveals to us that authority follows obedience authority follows obedience it doesn't follow church doesn't follow small groups it doesn't follow being nice it follows being obedient to Jesus obedient to God, which is how Jesus lived his life. If we fast forward through Jesus' life, we stick in the book of Matthew, we go right to the end, we go, all right, spoiler alert, how does it all finish? Like what are Jesus' last words, for example, in this story? We run into Matthew 28. And, and I'll read it again. I love this passage. I don't know how many times we've read it at a village, but it's from Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Jesus taught them not to be interested, not to know more, not to have more, but to obey. This little word that's just tucked in there is the key to the whole lot. The purpose wasn't to know more stuff or understand more stuff or learn more stuff. The purpose Jesus intended was for us to obey more of the stuff that Jesus talked about, more of the leading of the Holy Spirit, more of the desires of God the Father. But it can sometimes look different to this. Let me give you an example of how it can sometimes look. Zara the other day, had a, had a room that was very messy. It was like she'd rolled in a hand grenade and just gone, and there's clothes everywhere, and there's jewelry, and there's just, it just toys and fluffy things. It just went on forever. It was just like, oh, I'm not looking forward to when you become a teenager. And so we, it, it, she takes after mum, and so we pulled her, <laughs> which is the most ridiculous thing I could say in the world, right? Because Lyndall's the other end of the spectrum from, from Zari's mess. So yeah, that's exactly right. So we pulled Zari aside and we sat down and we said, Zari, you need to clean your room. Because if you don't, weird stuff is going to start growing in there. It's not going to be pretty. And, and if you keep going, there's going to be some strange animals just wandering there that you don't want there. At this point, Hamish is convinced that a messy room is the best thing in the world. Because all these mysterious pets come and, and join him. Um, and so, so we, um, we sent her off. We sent her off to go and, um, and sort this. And, and a short time later, she came back. She came back and she says, I've done what you told me to do. Like, well, what did you do? She says, well, I went upstairs and I sat in my room and I prayed. I prayed for that room. I prayed that it would be clean. I prayed that the mess would go and that the toys would jump back in the box. Just prayed it through. Prayed it through. And then, Dad, then I found a book in my room, like amongst all the mess, I found a book that told me how to clean my room. And so I read it and it was amazing. And it even had stories of other kids that had cleaned their room. That's how amazing it was. And, and then, then I had some friends over and we studied what it was like to live with a dirty room. And we read this book together and we got really excited. And then dad, I, I, I can imagine what it was like to have a clean room. It was, it was amazing. And she was very pleased with her efforts very pleased except that her room was still messy right she never cleaned her room if your child did that right and hopefully by now you've worked out that didn't actually happen if your child did that you'd think they were crazy right because you're like i just told you i don't care go clean your room that would be obedience go and do that you think they were trying to come up with some amazing excuses to avoid doing the work or completely misunderstood you when you said, go and clean your room, right? How often do we do that to God? Studying Jesus must result in our obedience to him. Otherwise, we've not actually been studying the risen Christ. Something close to him, something interesting concerning him, but not Jesus. The purpose of Jesus' teachings is that we would obey it. And as a result, we would be transformed and the world would be transformed. The reason we study Jesus is to know how to obey him. Discipleship is not about understanding Jesus more. It's about obeying and trusting and following him more. And on the back of this card, I don't know if you've seen it, there's five questions that you can have with anyone that just open the way up to do more of this stuff, to lead people in Christ's ways, to, to follow a life of obedience. We want this, our community to be a discipling community where people are discipled into their faith. But we can only only obey Jesus if we study him, if we know what he's calling us to do. And as we study Jesus and then we obey, he imparts to us his authority. He gives us this power that we could steward for the well-being of others. We get to impart and receive that. And when we put that into action, people go, wow. And they go, wow, not because of us, but because they go, I just caught a glimpse of what God is doing. That's who Jesus is. It's like Jesus is right in front of me with flesh on doing these things. And that carries this authority that when we start to speak, when we start to share our story, when we invite people into God's life, they go, maybe there's something more to this than perhaps what I've given it credit for. See, so it's easy. easy. We found it very easy to dodge being obedient by doing all those other really good things. But we dodge being obedient. So we're now going to pray and we're just going to ask God to tell us each to do what. Ever he wants each of us to do and then we're going to go do it, yeah? You're like, I don't want to pray that prayer. Yeah, that's good. That's obedience. All right, let's, let's pray. God, we we just, we want to say sorry for the times when we have not realized what you've called us to. We've not taken it seriously. We've not felt the weight of that or the responsibility of that. We've not stepped out enough. We've not chosen to have the courage to do things that cause us to fear and be scared. Jesus, we're sorry. And and right now we want to leave that behind. We want to do what you tell us to do. And so, Lord, speak to us. Speak to each of us with detail, with specifics, with clarity. May you speak so powerfully that we cannot avoid it, we cannot run away from it, we cannot escape it, Lord. We are here. And we want to hear what you want to say. So Lord, use these next few minutes in particular to speak to us now, we pray. God, I'm reminded of what you said to Joshua as he approached that land that was so unknown, so fearsome. You said be bold and courageous like he had it within him to do it. You didn't give courage, you said, be, but you called it out of him. And so call that courage out of us. That desire, that passion to serve you, to be obedient. And may this week, may we step into a new place of obedience in you. May you transform us that we may see your transformation take place in this world. We pray this in your awesome and powerful name. Amen.